All right, all right, all right. Buenos dias, Tampa Bay. Good morning, good morning. This is your host, Joshua, of the Urban Cafe. You're listening to WMNF 88.5, over 40 years radioactive. We got a great show ahead. Uh, we are going to have a return guest, Mark Oliver, who was on this show when he was running for office in the fall of 2020. Uh, but he is not going to here to talk about politics. He is going to be on our show to talk about a new venture that he is setting up called Olive Health. And uh, we're going to hear all about it from Mark himself around 930 for the rest of the show. Uh, Mark Oliver, again, a friend of the show, really looking forward to, to having him on, to, to getting an update to, to what's been going on since the election in his life and, uh, and this new venture called Olive Health, which sounds absolutely fantastic uh, for our Tampa Bay community. Uh, but before we get to that, we do have some uh, things that I just kind of wanted to cover prior to uh, bringing Mark on the call. Um, so a lot of things are happening. Um, obviously, there's a ceasefire now uh, in Israel, between Israel and uh, Hamas uh, in, uh, in Gaza. And so that's good. Uh, hundreds of people have died so far on, on both sides, you know, um, but definitely the day there's been much more severe damage on the uh, Palestinian side. Uh, many children have died, unfortunately, and uh, but I'm glad that there is a ceasefire, and it appears that the ceasefire is holding as of right now. Uh, but I'm not going to dive any more into that. I just want to acknowledge the fact that that's happening. Uh, also, uh, there's other shows, uh, and you know, WMNF has been covering this news all week. You know, uh, since it started happening, and so um, you know, kudos to Democracy Now! and all the other shows that that have covered this this topic specifically. Uh, there is one thing also. So that happened, and um, the House of Representatives passed a bill, and I am going to quote here CNN, but basically any major news outlet had this uh, news up. Uh, the House voted Wednesday to approve legislation to establish an independent commission to investigate the violent insurrection on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol, with 35 Republicans breaking with their party to support the bill. So I must say that Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the, of the minority uh, party here, uh, uh, the Republican Party, did not want this commission to move forward. But 35 of his colleagues did break away, which is 25 more than voted for the second impeachment for Trump. So there's 10 GOP representatives in the House that voted for that second impeachment, but 35 
or an agreement with an independent commission. So this commission would be styled on the, I thought is that it would be styled on the 9-11 commission that was created, a bipartisan commission commission to really understand what happened on 9-11. Well, the same thing, really understand what happened on January 6th. The final vote was 252 to 175. Um, you know, and the GOP defections, again, quoting here at CNN, GOP defections showcase a significant break with Republican leadership in the chamber and former President Donald Trump, who urged members to vote against the legislation. The bill is now moving to the Senate where it faces an uncertain fate as GOP resistance is growing in the Senate. It has to reach 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, Chuck Schumer, who is um, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, uh, has began taking steps, as reported by NBC News, began taking steps Wednesday, so immediately after the House passed their part, to speed the bill to the floor, saying he intends to hold a vote um, to pass this legislation as early as this week, potentially. Uh, and here we got um, quoting Majority Leader Chuck Schumer from an NBC News article. My Senate Republican colleagues must now ask themselves, are they going to join us in pursuing the truth? Or are they going to cover for Donald Trump and his big lie? So that's a very interesting take. You know, um, it's going to be pretty fascinating uh, to see what happens if if the if in the Senate ten re- up to ten Republicans or more can potentially vote in favor of the commission. Um, it, the leader of the minority in the Senate, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, has come out against it, arguing that it's unnecessary because a strong existing investigations are already underway in Congress and by the Justice Department. So, you know, Mitch McConnell does kind of have a point there in the sense that, you know, uh, the FBI is investigating this under the guise of the Justice Department. Uh, there's several committees in the House and I believe also in the Senate that are investigating this. Uh, you know, those investigations do exist. And so the concern from the Republican Party is that what will a commission be able to accomplish outside of what these investigations are already trying to attempt to do? Uh, however, you know, it's, um, I have to play this clip, which was, some people may have heard it, uh, it is Representative Tim Ryan, a Democrat, uh, just giving a speech on the House floor uh, on the on May 19th, um, and it uh, it speaks for itself. So let me go ahead and play this clip real quick of Tim Ryan, Representative Tim Ryan of Ohio, who was a former presidential candidate uh, for the Democratic Party. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I yield 30 seconds to the gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Ryan. Gentleman uh, is recognized for 30 seconds. I want, I want to thank the gentleman from New York and the other Republicans who are supporting this and thank them for their bipartisanship. To the other 90% of our friends on the other side of the aisle, holy cow, incoherence. No idea what you're talking about. Ben Gaza, you guys chased the former Secretary of State all over the country spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality 
and you ain't one of them. I yield back the balance Jeremy of my time. Back, uh, balance of his time. And so there you have, there you have it, Representative Tim Ryan of Ohio, absolutely incensed about uh, all the 175 Republicans who voted against creating a commission uh, to investigate the January 6th, um, you know, riot. Some people are calling it an insurrection. Uh, and so, you know, it, no matter what, it was definitely an invasion of the Capitol building that that much cannot be denied. And so um, pretty uh, fascinating to me to some folks are trying to sweep this under the rug and trying to forget about it. Uh, probably uh, political prudence on their part, those who don't want this commission to come out, right? Because the commission would basically just kind of dig up as much as possible and it would continue the storyline of the January 6th events all the way through December, which is when the commission would be publishing a report, December of 2021, right before January, which is when the primary season for the midterm elections start, right? So I can understand from a political point of view how the one party doesn't want all this in the news going all the way through December right before the elections period starts uh, because it won't be good news for this one specific party, right? Because it's it's very clear that the one party or members of one party are the ones who helped facilitate the, what happened on January 6th, right? And so, and we must not forget that police officers did die. Somebody died the day of, and then I believe one or two officers actually committed suicide uh, after the event. Uh, and uh, to this day, several officers are still dealing with um, the repercussions of uh, the physical repercussions of, of being beaten down by the protesters. And so it's, it's pretty fa fascinating uh, to hear um, the different messaging coming across from the two different parties. I am glad to see that 35 Republicans did vote uh, in, in favor of the commission, but we'll see as typical, everything may be held up in the Senate uh, because of the filibuster rules and they need 60 votes to be able to uh, pass this uh, January 6th commission. And so um, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating uh, to me to hear about all this. It's just uh, very unfortunate, and, you know, I, and in my opinion. And so um, then there, there was a letter that I have to read. I'm not going to read the whole letter, but essentially... Um, the Capitol Hill police, which were the ones that were most impacted by this, in my opinion, uh, they, they cannot talk about legislation as an organization, but I believe 50 police officers, uh, and I'm trying to find the exact, uh, story, but 50 police officers did come out against, um, those who voted, uh, talking against those who voted against the commission, right? Um, and I'm going I'm to read here. It is inconceivable. A U.S. Capitol Police officer uh, anonymously sent a pointed, pointed letter to members of Congress on Wednesday expressing profound disappointment with the Republican leadership for opposing the establishment of an inquiry to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And I'm quoting here from this letter. It is inconceivable that some of the members we protect would downplay the events of January 6th. Member safety was dependent upon the heroic actions of the United States Capitol Police. It is a privileged assumption for members to have the point of view that it wasn't that bad.
and and that was in quotes because there have been representatives that said it wasn't that bad. There was a peaceful protest. Like if you looked at images uh, and didn't know what had happened on January 6th, you would think that it was uh, just a normal day at the Capitol with people walking through the rotunda. No, that is not the case. Um, I'm quoting again the letter. That privilege exists because the brave men and women of the United States Capitol Police protected you, the members. The letter is not an official statement from the Capitol Police, and a United States Capitol Police spokesman said that the department does not know where the letter came from. The U.S. Capitol Police does not take positions on legislation. So the official stance from the USCP is that they don't take, take any stances on legislation, as they shouldn't. Uh, but this private letter did come out there. And, and I just think it's a slap in the face. I agree with Representative Ryan. You know, it's, you know, we all saw images of the House floor being barricaded. And uh, it's just, uh, there was a representative who was a, rep a Republican representative assisting with blockading the entrance to the House of Representatives rotunda, right? To the floor of the House. And that representative... Last week, I saw a video, I wish I could pull it up, a video of that representative saying that it wasn't that bad, that they were not fearing for their safety. But there's images of this representative literally assisting U.S. Capitol Police and blockading the entrance to the floor of the House, right? And so it's a complete, uh, you know, amnesia of what actually happened that day. But so we'll see what happens. This may die in the Senate this week. Uh, if 10 Republicans do not vote in favor of that. So if you have any comments on this, 813-239-9663. Uh, you can email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. And so another big news that happened, moving on from that one. Um, so uh, <laughs> Joel Greenberg, who I discussed here, was a tax collector for uh, Seminole County. Uh, as reported by The Hill, uh, pled guilty to six federal crimes on Monday, including sex trafficking of a minor, and has entered into a plea deal with the prosecutors to cooperate with the Justice Department investigation into Representative Matt Gates of Florida. Um, Greenberry is at the center of the legal investigation looking into G Gates and allegations against him involving uh, sexual crimes. Uh, Greenberg admitted as part of his plea deal that he recruited women for commercial sex acts and paid them more than $70,000 between 2016 and 2018, sometimes sending money through digital payment services like Venmo. Uh, prior to the plea agreement, Greenberg had been facing 33 federal criminal charges. And so uh, pretty fascinating there that he basically, you know, a lot of people had uh, already presumed that this was happening and eventually it did happen. Uh, and then uh, there's news that uh, Matt Gates' ex-girlfriend is now cooperating with the federal investigation as well. And there is a new name also uh, in, in the reporting. And I'll, I'll have a caller I'll get to here in a second. Uh, and um, a new name has come up uh, essentially saying a gentleman by the name of Joe Ellicott, uh, who previously worked for Greenberg when he was a Florida tax collector. Uh, it says here that, uh, according to the report, the text between Greenberg and Ellicott, this new uh, person of interest, were exchanged on the encrypted messaging app Signal, and with dis in which those messages disappear in the time of 30 seconds. But Greenberg took screenshots of the messages in which he and Ellicott expressed fear that they had that they and others in their circle could face criminal charges for having sex with a minor. 
Ellicott has not been charged with the crime and did not respond to any inquiries. Um, and then, so there's a, a, a criminal expert, former FBI person, stating a quote quoted here: "If Greenberg has text between himself and Ellicott, it's certainly feasible he has other evidence and was savvy enough to take screenshots of those texts." So things are getting hot and heavy in the investigation into Matt Gates uh, with possible, uh, you know, very serious repercussions for some of the things that may have happened there. So let me get to a caller real quick who's been patiently waiting. Good morning, caller. What is your name and where are you calling us from? Yes. Yes. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Billy. How are you doing, sir? My goodness. I've <laughs> worked so hard on my disguise and can't seem to ever get it right. You're, you're close. You're close. <laughs> Spend all this money here. They got to work on. Anyways, so uh, lots uh, of lots to unpack here this morning, Billy. What are your well, thoughts? Here's here's the things that that, that trouble. Let's let's deal with the Matt Gates situation. And and I'll say, and Art Kelly is where. Uh, this is an you know you know it's an amazing double standard on how law enforcement proceeds. You know, um. Uh, these guys, you're talking about elective representatives, uh, ID fraud. I don't think I, uh, that, that, uh, Greenberg and, uh, that, uh, Art Kelly was involved in, in forgery of IDs. We're talking about people who had public response that, that, that were elected by the public for public responsibility. And the question, because even in, in that question, you have to ask in the subtext, you know, how did people select these guys to become, uh, what sort of privileges did they have over people that they would come to, to get this type of authority and yet, excuse me, knew these type of things, doing these type of acts in, 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 in open public and feeling free to, to engage in. You have to have a sense of privilege here and stuff. Going to the Bahamas, uh, I don't think Art Kelly did that. And uh, and those sort and those sort of things. But R. Kelly is in is in uh, in, in in jail, uh, um, awaiting trial. And Matt Gates is not only is he on the not only he's still in Congress, but he is on the judiciary hearing, and he has the support of his caucus. His caucus has not said a thing. Just like in Marjorie Taylor Greene's case. Okay, it, it is pretty fascinating. I, I agree with you, Billy. What an amazing double standard here! But you know, one thing, Billy, in this country, obviously, and you know, I know you and I have talked about this before, is yeah. guilt, guilty to proven innocent, right? So it is technically his right to not have to resign or anything like that, because these are technically allegations at this point. He's not been indicted. He's not, hasn't charges have not been dropped against him at this point. So, uh, and John Conyers did what? John Conyers served as Chairman of the op- government operation, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, was there for so many years, and they accused him of sexual harassment and, 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 and those sort of things. And he didn't get married until he was 68, and some of these charges uh, were there when he was a single man. Uh, and young man, when women were there, John Kimes was a good-looking guy, man. I mean, not only did the... The the, the 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 girls traced him. I'll leave the rest. I won't even say that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. but uh, John. But he was a single man for a long long time, and he was a warrior. On top of that, against voting uh, against uh, folks who wanted to fight against voting rights, against drug uh, the the disproportionate use of 
of, of, of drugs, uh, drug convictions targeted at, uh, at, at minorities and black folks. Look at his conference that he had back in 1990, a panel that he put together uh, in 1990. You see, if you read that, and I'm on that panel, by the way, and very little has changed. And yet he was forced off out of Congress. And where is Matt Gates today? <laughs> Excuse me. And then all of a sudden we're going to, you know, he gets this, 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 uh, pardon of privilege is what I would call it and stuff. And it goes on and on and on. And in terms of the critical, one thing I always like to talk about is, is this new thing called the, the critical race theory. What is that? And well, when we're saying that we can't talk about, actually critical race theory is a, is a, is a legal concept that talks about how race has affected the, the, the whole issue of, uh, of the United States and its, uh, and its foundation, and it's developed. It's a theory, but there's some criticisms I may have about it in terms of, the, in terms of I think it's more facts than it is theory, but in fact is, is that we're now at the, at the point in our country where 20 states have come out and said we shouldn't be talking about racism. We shouldn't be talking about oh uh, we we you can't discuss this issue of what's happening here in in, in this country. And, and, and the point the, the point is is that uh, you we see uh, it, we it's a way of of, of cover, covering up. Racism. Let's say. Let's give you an example. We don't want to talk about what happened between. What? Well, well, I want to stay, Billy. I want to stay on point about the conversation. Yeah, yeah, Billy. So, so you know, getting back to the the Gates situation. So, it is becoming very serious, right? So, Greenberg has you know uh, pleaded guilty to six charges out of the thirty three. I think he's getting off light, but obviously, you know, the Justice Department is trying to go after the bigger fish, right? right. And so, it's interesting here. I'm reading. I'm reading from uh, an article on the Hill. Uh, according to the plea agreement, Greenberg engaged in a smear campaign against his political opponent who was vying for his seat as Seminole County tax collector. Right, right. Greenberg admitted to penning a letter to the prep school where uh, this person uh, worked as a teacher in which he posed a very concerned student while falsely claiming to have had sex with that person. So so Greenberg is just the worst of the worst, in my opinion, right? So he he, he was... Somebody was running against him as tax okay. collector, and he tried to frame them for being a pedophile. Okay, that's okay. terrible. Well, well, yeah, but here's here's the issue. This guy is still allows it. He and Gates are still in good standing with their caucus. Well, I don't know about Greenberg anymore, but Gates is for sure. Oh, wait a minute. This is remember now. Mr. Greenberg represents family values. Okay. Mm. Mr. Greenberg represents uh, the, the the upbringing of America and the conservative uh, <laughs> way of thinking. He represents, you know, nor, uh, I agree. Uh, it it definitely life and child, child, and make sure that we don't have definitely hypocritical. This is what we call the pardon of. Privilege is what he gets. Yeah. And Billy Billy, we do gotta go we do gotta go for our guests. And your boy and your and your good friend. <laughs> Billy, we do gotta go for uh, our upcoming guests here. So but thank you so much as always for calling into the show this morning. We appreciate it. We are getting ready to have Mark Oliver on, a former guest, uh former candidate uh for public office, and but he is here to talk to us about health disparities, uh the future of um uh, of the healthcare and system in in the United States, 
and some of the initiatives that he's doing at the local level uh, to talk uh, about these, to try to improve these health disparities that we see here in, in our local community. And so uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and go to a quick break. And when we come back on the other end, we're going to have Mark Oliver uh, with us this morning. So thank you for tuning in to the Urban Cafe on WMNF 88.5. We will be right back. Jazz is alive every Sunday night here on WMNF with your host, Scott Hopkins. Tune in from 6 to 8 p.m. to listen to one of America's greatest art forms, from Basin Street in Kansas City to the Tampa Bay area, Florida, and the world. Past, present, and future. You'll hear it all on The Colors of Jazz, Sundays. This is a WMNF public service announcement. The Children's Cancer Center presents the Champagne and Chuckers fundraiser Sunday, April 18th at the Sarasota Polo Club. The Children's Cancer Center is a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving children and their families who are battling cancer or chronic blood disorders with the emotional, financial, and educational support necessary to cope with their life-threatening illness. More on the event at ChampagneAndChuckers.com. Hang on. We're headed out. Should be a smooth ride, but some stray wave can always surprise you. Thanks, Captain. Patch and Click returns to the air October 26th. Brand new four-minute episodes each week, Monday, 1.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. and again Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Exciting original sci-fi comedy adventure right here on WMNF Tampa. Catch up on previous episodes online at wmnf.org slash events slash patch dash click. Hey, this is Frankie Mopar with the Retro Jukebox Show. I'm here pushing the buttons every Wednesday morning, 4 to 6 a.m. Every week we'll start out the show in the early 50s and progress through the 60s. Music is memories. So let's journey through our lives together. If you can't make it in person, the show's available 24-7 at WMNF.org. The Retro Jukebox, every Wednesday morning, 4 to 6 a.m. on your community conscious radio station, WMNF. Surface Noise, now on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. with DJ Lounge, Laura Taylor. The day and time are different, but the show is the same. Old school, new wave, power pop, punk, glam garage, your weekly Todd, Bowie, Votive, and the cocktail mix. Surface Noise on WMNF Tampa. Hola, this is Isha, host of Latin X, WMNF's newest program. Two hours of Latin indie and alternative music from around the world. From indie rock, punk, hip-hop to electronic, fused folklore, we play it all. Tune in every Monday, 10 p.m. to midnight on 88.5 FM or WMNF.org. Let the rhythm get you. Welcome back. Oh, yeah, man, how you doing? Come on, come on. You good? I know you like that. I know you like that. All right, welcome back to the Urban Cafe on WMNF 88.5, over 40 years radioactive. And so this is your host, Joshua, from the Urban Cafe. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. And we got a great show here, a great guest, uh, a recurrent, a guest who's uh, been on this show before as a uh, run, candidate running for public office, Mark Oliver. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing? 
Good morning, guys. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited to talk to you. I I, I remember uh, all the positive energy uh, you had the first time I met you, and the great things you're doing for the community. And I was just really excited to uh, to be able to get you on the show again to talk about some of the new stuff that you're doing. You know, since uh, since last time we spoke, and so. Um, just real quick for our listeners out there, can you uh, just remind them of who you are and, you know, and, and, you know, kind of a little bit of your background. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. And it's um, really good to be on here as, you know, myself and not really running the office, running for office. So who I am, uh, my name is Mark Oliver. I run a nonprofit um, called Specially Fit. Um, so I work with over 400 individuals with developmental disabilities. And we provide year-round workouts, boarding opportunities, mentorship, um, social opportunities, 100% free of cost, right? And um, I also have a group home. And so this field here, too, is kind of what led me when I did run for office. This is what pushed me over the edge to do it. You know, this community is constantly overlooked. And, you know, one thing that I really pushed on while I was running for office was health care. And, you know, when I opened the group home, I actually opened it shortly after the campaign and everything happened. And I realized firsthand, I knew it was bad for this community. But then I really got into a deeper step to see how bad the healthcare aspect was, not just for them, but for our vulnerable community. And um, so I was having like a part-time job trying to find any physician or any doctors, um, anybody that would take Medicaid. And that was step number one. It was a whole month wait list. And then to get quality care was almost impossible, right? So and I'm here with my business partner, too, um, Nurse Yvette Guzman, and she's a nurse practitioner. She started practicing, helping with our Special Olympic team. And, you know, I really encouraged her to let's start our own practice and help this community out. So we launched a mobile health care practice um, where we're now focused in on the vulnerable communities that we have. And um, taking Medicaid, doing mobile visits, because the statistics here is just unreal um, when we have minorities that are having the lack of health care. This is uh, just an incredible venture. So, you know, full disclosure, you know, again, uh, I, I work in the healthcare um, industry as well. You know, that's what pays my bills, so to speak. I work at Moffitt Cancer Center. And so I, I understand uh, those disparities, right? You know, uh, the, the cancer center is always looking to improve, um, you know, how they engage with the minority communities, both on clinical research as well as actual clinical, uh, you know, ensuring that we treat the patients of our community regardless of race, gender, you know, et cetera, you know. And so, and I think it's, I honestly can applaud you, Yvette, and I think you have a third partner, Miranda, is that accurate? Yes, that, that is accurate. And so, yeah, I can't applaud you guys enough for what this amazing adventure that you're doing here. I, I want to get into the mobile aspect of this, but before I do, you mentioned that essentially, so so you you, you basically accept, you know, insurances across the board for the most part? Yeah, we do. And, um, you know, that was one of the things when we started this. She started helping out with the Special Olympics. And our goal was to serve, you know, vulnerable communities, but also everybody else, right? So the only way we could serve, say that we're truly helping out our vulnerable communities is if we take the Medicaid. Um, there's so many doctors out there that won't do it because it pays 
very little. Mm, the margins are very thin, yeah. It really is. And um, so that's why when they go there, too, the care is it's not good at all. Mm. And so we go to everybody's house. We take insurances. Um, so we go to their house. We do telehealth. We are able to prescribe. We have a psychiatrist on our team. We have a doctor on our team. And Yvette, um, who's here, you know, she was really, she's been in the medical field for quite some time. Yeah, and actually, uh, let, let me ask Yvette, Yvette, good morning. This is Joshua. Very nice to meet you over the phone. Um, and thank you for being a guest this morning. We appreciate it. So so I see here that you're a gerontology nurse. Is that how you pronounce that? Um, yes, I have a certificate for adult and gerontology. And what's gerontology? Remind me again, sorry. So that's um, over 65. Got it, got it, okay. Older adults. Oh, okay, I I always think uh, geriatric, but it's actually gerontology, okay. Um, Okay, well, excellent. And so, and and, uh, how did you get involved with the Special Olympics and then subsequently here with Olive Health? So I actually started volunteering with Specially Fit about two years ago, Um, really fell in love with the community and just helping out at the events and, you know, just being a nurse practitioner, people come up to you once they know you're in the healthcare field, they have questions. And I just became like a resource for them, trying to help them navigate, find doctors. And in the meantime, um, you know, realizing that there was such a big need. And when Mark opened his group home and we were going to compete in the Special Olympics again, you know, I just realized that I had to do something more. I couldn't just be a resource because there just wasn't enough providers to actually answer the call that was needed. So took the steps that were required to open my own practice, be able to offer the services myself, because at the end of the day, I knew that was the only way that I could really try to fill this gap that's really there for this community. That's absolutely fantastic. I can't. And so, and you, and you mentioned the Specially Fit Foundation, and, and I'm going to switch it back to Mark real quick. Mark, uh, remind our listeners about the Specially Fit Foundation and what exactly it is. Yeah, definitely. So this is, I truly think it's the most amazing program. Um, you know, this, this community, you know, I met the first individual with a disability. Um, it's going now three three years ago. And never knew anyone that had a disability, Never no one in my family. Um, I know some people know this story. But um, then I met a young guy. I owned a CrossFit gym. His name was Andrew. And um, I volunteered to train him. And little did I know this guy would become one of my best friends. And from there, you know, I got involved with the Special Olympics. And I've never seen, I'm a college football player. Um, I've never seen so much love in a sport. So I got involved, and long story short, you know, we ended up building the largest Special Olympics team in Hillsborough and Pinellas County. And we went from just Andrew to working with over 400 people in less than two years. And so that was my step into the field. And then, you know, we started doing a lot of, legislative work trying to help them out on the healthcare side because we're and financially we're 50th in the nation and then i started opening up to a group home and you know so it's constantly now this has been my full full-time job that's incredible when you say 50th in the nation what exactly are you referring to there um so when it comes to our funding um our budget you know there's not many opportunities for them um you know to get any services such as behavior services speech services you know, and there's this thing called the I-Budget, um, basically APD. It's how they get their services. 
And every year, the state cuts it more and more. And actually, there's like a six to eight year wait list. Whoa. Basically, yeah. So you have these parents, you know, they're crying. They don't know what to do because you can go to high school, I want to say, till you're 21 um, or 22. And then after that, you know, you're basically, you're out to the wolves. You're in the wolves' den. There's nothing really for them. Wow. And so you'll have a grown individual who can be 30 years old, but a mindset of a five-year-old, right? And parents still have to work. They still have to pay their bills. But what happens with this individual, right? And a lot of them don't know about these services out there for them. And then the wait list and the paperwork is so painful. And um, you can ask any parent who's in this community. They will all say the same thing. It was one of the most stressful processes. So our goal, too, you know, with our healthcare practice is when we're going into these homes, we're seeing them, we're also educating them and how you can navigate the system, how you can get these services provided to you. But a lot of people don't even know about it. And that's that's just incredible. I mean, I can't believe you went from one person to 400 in a span of like two years. That's just That tells you the need in the community, right? And so are you seeing... Uh, when when you said had that saw that expansion of, of people coming to your gym initially, right? Um, are were they coming from Hillsborough County and um, other counties, or was it primarily just Hillsborough? They were coming from all over. Um, you wow. know, we have a gym in Bloomingdale. I have people coming from Lando Lake just to drive there, and um, there's just not many pieces for them. And even when we launched, you know, all of health, you know, in a matter of Two and a half weeks, we've seen 100 patients. And they have never seen anything like this where you actually have someone who knows you and is going to have a conversation with you and not just prescribe you a medication just mm-hmm. because they don't know really what's going on. Actually treat them as a person, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of these doctors, um, psych, you know, they don't understand the community, so the first thing they want to do is give a med. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of seeing how we can help them. Wow, this is a, a, absolutely incredible. Mark, you, you're just a very impressive gentleman, you know, and, and uh, Yvette, just uh, incredible, not just the altruism, but, you know, literally, you know, putting action. You know, one thing is talking the game, right? Another thing is actually doing something to help these the underprivileged. Uh, in this case, you know, um, the, the de- developmentally disabled. Is that accurate? Is that how you say that? That is the proper term, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it's just absolutely incredible. So, you know, a lot of things going on here this morning. We got uh, Mark Oliver, and uh, we have also uh, his partner, Yvette Guzman. Uh, Can I say Guzman or you prefer Guzman? Uh, Guzman is fine. <laughs> and so they are partners in Olive Health, and uh, they are focusing primarily on a specific subset of patients that, you know, unfortunately don't get what they need in our current society. So we do have a caller who's called in. I'm going to go ahead and bring this caller in and uh, see what kind of comments or questions they may have. One moment here. And so, good morning, caller. What is your name and where are you calling us from? Yeah, just real quick. Is your broadcast? Still coming. I was listening on air, and all of a sudden, I got a bunch of music. Yeah, no, it's still on. It's still on. Okay, so I was just kind of frightened you there a little bit. <laughs> no, no problem. I wanted to ask your your guest that in terms of this this issue of healthcare disparity uh, about our our the failure within the, the the Medicaid and Medicare system. Because oftentimes you're talking about children and. This has been going on for 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 
for years. And what has been their encounter with this, uh, with the, the the Medicare, the the Medicaid system, and also how this also, and he was a candidate, how this relates to uh, school budgeting and failure to develop uh, certain programs in uh, in our in our in our public school education programs and and, and those sorts. And I'd like to hear him uh, uh, talk about that. And just a little bit for my own ego, we write about these type of disparities in our little blog called You Are Within the Norms com. So I just wanted to 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 to, to ask you get to them. And I'm sure he's encountered the, the Medicare, Medicaid system. So, so Mark and Yvette, can you speak to a little bit more to those specific disparities that, that Billy's uh, referencing? Yes, absolutely. So firsthand as a provider, I see, you know, these disparities every day. And that was really what, you know, launched us into the healthcare practice because we had so many of our participants um, in our fitness program that had Medicaid and had trouble navigating the system, having a provider that would take the uh, Medicaid, and then also once they found a provider that did, getting any type of quality service. So there's a lot going on there um, within the system that can improve. And what we're, you know, our goal with our practice is to show that we can give quality service. It doesn't have to be more expensive and really shift everything that's going on in healthcare because there's this idea that it has to be a certain way because it's been that way for so long. And we truly believe that everyone deserves quality service, deserves access to care, and should be able to speak to their provider and have that conversation and that relationship. Um, so as far as um, current state, definitely a lot of barriers and we're hoping that with our model we can show how it can be done better and um, reduce those barriers for people. And Josh, too, another piece um, for the listeners, they may not understand why a lot of practices don't take Medicaid. Um, they know that it doesn't pay a lot, but you also, another reason is it's about a 90-day wait list and so you can get paid um, when you take a Medicaid patient. Um, so that's why a lot of practices gear away from it, um, and you'll see more people heading towards the Medicare, and you see Medicaid patients put on the back burner, you know, because it takes so long to get paid, and then it may take even longer than that. And 90 days is like the short time frame for it. And, and can I ask one more question? Because this, this kind of scares me the other day. A lot of times these programs, a lot of providers are saying, you know, when you're doing the right thing, you're absolutely providing the care that needed. We have these antiquated uh, policies that then put doctors, physicians, and other providers, uh, pharmacists, under a suspicious cloud, and they're being investigated for, for uh, Medicaid fraud based on the erroneous interpretation of these regulators that they have here. And so that Billy, there's a lot of background noise on, just so yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah just a that discourages a lot of uh, a lot of uh, providers from even wanting to be involved with these programs because of bureaucratic morass and red tape that, that takes place. I want to know if your guests have encountered that type of resistance. I mean, in, in many of the 
especially just trying to help people to do the and you're trying to do the right thing, uh, it, it gets to the point where you say, you know, the heck of working with poor people. Yeah. I'd rather work with somebody who who's, who's got some uh, uh, can can bring me some private help. I, I think that's a, a that's a great question, and so it's a very, 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 very discouraging. And you can't, and you, and you see this endless cycle. What is what is created? So, so question the question, I guess, Mark and Yvette is, you know, as you started, you know, how long has all of health been open? I guess so that's one question I have. So we've been going, and he brings up a, a perfect point. We've been going through the processes. Um, for the last six months of getting on board with the different insurance companies. And he's absolutely correct. It has taken us three times as long to get enrolled as a Medicaid provider than it did to do with any of the commercial or Medicare uh, programs. That's terrible. So that alone shows you that, yeah, as a provider, why would I spend all that time, effort, money? We had to hire credentialing people just to get us through the process. And then on top of it, you know, there's a payment delay of what ninety days. You said, correct. Yeah, that's 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 a tough market. But you know, I guess what, despite all these obstacles, what keeps you going? Like, what keeps you, you know, on track to to try to deliver these services to this patient population? And that goes with the reason we got into it. You know, like I said before, our mission was to help the vulnerable community and serve everyone. And in order for us to do that, we have to take Medicaid. You know, that was part of it. If we're going to do this, we're going to be 100% in. And not only do we take Medicaid, and we make their life so much easier. You know, they don't have to, First off, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to get to the hospital. It's a lot of work. Navigating it, especially for our older community, trying to set appointments. We show up at your house. Um, there's no extra charge. We, we're not even doing a copay right now. You know, there's, we go to your house, we're able to serve you, give you your telehealth visit, um, prescribe you your medication. And so they're getting VIP treatment on, you know, with a Medicaid plan. That's incredible. And, and I, I have some metrics here for, uh, for our listeners. So again, you're listening to the Urban Cafe on WMNF 88.5, over 40 years radioactive. This is your host, Joshua. We got two great guests on the show today, uh, Yvette Guzman and Mark Oliver, who are two thirds of the partners in All of Health, a new, uh, venture, uh, coming from the brain trust of, uh, of Mark, Yvette and uh, Miranda Panetta. And so they're trying to serve the under, uh, Served an underprivileged community of the um, developmentally disabled. Um, many people may recognize it. You know, their patient population are patients with Down syndrome, as an example. And so, um, here are some statistics uh, that that I found. I think one of the th- important parts, Mark and Yvette, I want to get your thoughts on this is. The average lifespan for people with Down syndrome has increased from the age of 30 to the age of 60 over the past 25 years, right? So, so the healthcare in general, right? Like they're living longer, right? So therefore they need to be taken care of, you know, for decades longer than they used to be, right? And, and not taken care of. Maybe that's the wrong word, but at least, you know, you know, uh, then, you know, we need to, to, to make sure that we, we address any health issues they may have, right? Uh, And then it says the number of adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities uh, greater than 60 is projected to nearly double from 641,000 in 2000 to 1.2 million by 2030. 
And so according to a center, uh, according to a study by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention published in 2015, one in 20 adults in the United States has a disability with the highest percentage living in the southeastern United States, hence Florida. And so um, is this, are these kind of metrics, uh, did they assist you in your decision to open up this business or, or was it just, you know, boots on the ground seeing what you saw in person? I would have to say, you know, as boots on the ground, you know, the numbers are going up. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, a lot of people in this community, they were just institutionalized, right? They didn't know what they were. They were kind of put, nobody wanted to deal with it. So now, you know, it's, uh, it's you see it a lot more common that the diagnosis, there's more support groups. So that's why those numbers are going up. Um, and we do know that. And, you know, not to shift gears too much, you know, we're able to serve not just the special needs community. We serve everybody. Okay, that's good. And that's a good to know. Yeah. Yes, we serve everyone. You know, this is just the community that we're in. Um, and right now, you know, we really believe, you know, healthcare is changing. And COVID has shown that. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah, right? So, and what we're offering now, we're the future of healthcare, right? Even from a business standpoint. You know, brick and mortars, you see them going out left and right. And so for our practice, we have a team of multiple nurse practitioners, doctors, psychiatrists. They're coming to your house. So if you're sick, um, you're a busy guy, you have a lot of things going on, and you have an earache, or you know what's wrong with you, and you need a prescription, and you don't want to wait to go to the doctor. You're able to get on, go to our app, actually, get on a telehealth call with one of our practitioners. They're able to diagnose you and able to get you sent out what you need. So... We serve everybody, um, and we we know this is the future of healthcare, with especially with everything going on. And I applaud the uh, the just the effort, the agility. I think having a mobile solution is just absolutely to your point. It's it's uh, it's really changing healthcare, so to speak. Right? Telemedicine has changed healthcare, and and the mobile solution. So. Regarding the mobile solution, um, has that been difficult to implement in, because we're technically still in a pandemic? So how, how's that working out? So with everything we've learned in the last year, we are taking all the precautions, you know, to ensure that as we're going out to patients' homes, um, we're following all the standards. Um, we've found that it actually reduces you know, the amount of contact people have because we don't have the extra people. You know, when you go to an office, you're getting checked in, you're sitting in a waiting room. Even if there are, you know, less appointments during that time, you're still having way more contact because there's a medical assistant involved and sometimes a nurse and a doctor seeing you. Um, so those are multiple contacts and they've had multiple contacts throughout the day. So with our model, we feel that we've reduced that completely and um, just following the regulations that are already in place. And we haven't had any issues with exposures or anything like that. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, another piece, too. How many doctors or practitioners do you call at 9 o'clock at night that are going to answer their phone? Uh, very few. <laughs> yeah, I put that every time we visit somebody, I say, call your doctor right now. Let's see if they answer their cell phone. And um, then I say, call anybody on our list. And I guarantee they, call you, they answer or call you back within five minutes. That's incredible. You know, that's the beauty of this. And, you know, it is the future. And we're able to help so many people, which is just the amazing thing. Yes, the business standpoint is great. You know, where it's a niche, it's innovative. But the way we're able to help much more people on a one-on-one -on -one organic level 
it, it's unreal. That that's fantastic. I I, I really applaud the initiative uh, from from all three of you, uh, and the rest of the, uh, your partners. Right, it's just uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, we got a caller. Let's get to a caller, and then we got an NPR break, and we'll we'll continue that conversation. Uh, good morning, caller. What is your name, and where are you calling us from? Hey, Mike in Tampa. Hey, Mike. I want. I just want to say this commission that got to investigate uh, the thing uh, that January sixth incident is a wash. Okay. Thank you. Spent. Thank you, Mike. And so Mike was talking about something that I was talking about before I had Yvette and Mark on the call. Uh, I mentioned about the January 6th commission, but uh, we're not going to go there. We're talking, we, we have a different topic right now. So uh, sorry about that, Mark and Yvette. Uh, but, but uh, Mike, I do appreciate you calling in and, you know, we'll try to touch that subject uh, maybe potentially next week. And so, um, so, we still have a few things to talk about here. We are coming up on a, a NPR news break here real quick, but Mark, you mentioned an app. Well, how can people get access to that app? Yeah, definitely. So if they go to our website, www.olivehealthfl.com, they'll be able to book an appointment. And then we have a Hilo app, you know, where you can see everything, all of your vitals, everything. When we check you out, it's super streamlined. Um, you know, for the communities we serve too, we serve a lot of homes. It's a living facility, so it's very HIPAA compliant as well. Would you call it a Hilo app? Yes. Yeah, so that's the platform we use. eClinical Works, which is one of the largest electronic medical record systems in the country. Okay. And everything from our portal, like that, the providers are putting into that system, goes directly to the Hilo app. So that's just the name of the app. Got it. Fantastic. So technologically advanced agile and mobile uh dealing with many insurances and providing tons of services sounds like a win here this is i'm just really impressed actually you know i've been in healthcare for 10 years and i really like what you guys got going on here um and so mark you know and and what i'm on so i'm on allofhealthfl.com uh how else can people get a hold of the organization so the first thing you can do is go to book an appointment. Um, and then right there, we'll show some availabilities. And then also there's a phone number. And that number you call is actually going to Yvette, who's our lead practitioner. Okay. So we'll then get you scheduled when we're out in the area. Um, right now.